We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ's likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. A few student council representatives that would come over the intercom and do the announcements for the day, and, and it was only the most important things that they would announce to the whole school, right? Something that pertained to everybody. And, and as we look at Mark's gospel tonight, what we're looking at is an announcement. We're looking at an announcement that matters for everyone, an announcement that is so much more important than the things that we heard over the intercom in school or even uh, the things that uh, we say on a Sunday morning during our announcement sometimes. I mean, this is the announcement. This is the announcement that everyone needs to hear about, and this is the announcement that Mark um, and, and the Lord Jesus himself wants us to hear and respond to. Uh, and part of that response is, is even by announcing uh, this great announcement of the resurrection of Christ uh, to the world and to those around us. And so uh, tonight we're going to look at the announcement of the resurrection in Mark. And as we're looking at Mark 16, um, I, think, I think the main point that we see here is that, is that Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. And, and that that simple fact that Christ is risen from the grave changes everything. And, and Mark's gospel has been leading us up to uh, largely the cross, and then he abruptly ends his gospel with the resurrection. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and we'll look at a couple of them tonight. Um, before we jump into the first eight verses there, I want to talk just briefly about verses 9 through 20 that will be in some of your Bibles. Um, you'll see that there are some brackets in, for example, the ESV, it says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16 verses 9 through 20. And then you've got a little footnote that tries to explain some of that for you um, in a lot of your Bibles. And so let's talk for just a moment about that. I want to read the section to you and then try to explain a little bit about what those verses are. Um, so looking at it with me. Uh, verse 9, it says, Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She wept. She, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been, sent, had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. 
And so as we look at verses 9 through 20, we see a lot of things that we see elsewhere in Scripture. And I think the reason for that is whoever wrote verses 9 through 20, uh, I think is pulling from other sections of Scripture, other Gospels, uh, Luke, Acts, uh, John, uh, Matthew's Gospel. I think the writer of these words is pulling from those different places and kind of giving us a fuller picture uh, beyond what Mark had written in 1 through 8, um, kind of what happened after the fact. And so... Most scholars agree that Mark's gospel ended uh, with verse 8. And so the reason you've got brackets there is because these verses 9 through 20 were not in a lot of the earliest manuscripts that we have of Mark's gospel. And so uh, a helpful way, I think, of thinking about these verses, um, because if they weren't original to Mark, then we've got to figure out what we're going to do with them, right? Um, If they're not written by Mark, we believe uh, that... What Mark wrote was Holy Spirit-inspired scripture, right? And if these are not from Mark, we have to do something with them. And so I think a helpful way to look at it is to look at these verses as though uh, we would any uh, helpful piece of Christian literature that is in line with what scripture teaches. And, um, and, and one, one thing is to note is that these verses in over, are in uh, some like, something like 95% of the manuscripts we do have. They're just not in the oldest ones. And so I think what we see here is a very reliable uh, portrayal of what the early church believed. And so I think these verses are helpful for us to still consider and read and think about, um, even if Mark himself wasn't the one writing them. And so um, they're in 95% of the manuscripts we have, not the earliest ones, though. Um, These verses... Uh, were circulating in the early church by about the mid-2nd century at the latest. Um, So very early on, uh, Christians had access to these verses. And uh, the the point I want you to see is that um, they may have been added later and not original to Mark. Um, So even if these verses aren't Holy Spirit-inspired scripture written by Mark himself, uh, these verses are very much in line with what Mark has said and what the other scripture writers have said. And so they're still helpful for us to think about and think through. And so I think there's a few important themes um, that we'll look at just before we jump into uh, verses 1 through 8 here with the resurrection. Um, one is that we see um, resurrection appearances and, uh, and the struggle with doubt. Um, both things that Mark himself has portrayed for us and then um, the, whoever wrote 9 through 20 is kind of giving us a fuller picture of what happened after Jesus was risen from the grave and who he appeared to and when and what happened after that. And so um, that's a very important uh, reason those verses are in some of the manuscripts, uh, some of the things that they were considering. And then also uh, you see the emphasis on the spread of the gospel. And so you see the Great Commission uh, outlined there similarly as we see it in other Gospels, um, we see uh, the emphasis on the Gospel going forward, the Gospel going out to all the creation uh, being preached everywhere, and then also we see the importance of belief and faith. And I think that uh, that's very consistent with what Mark is getting at in verses 1 through 8, because I think the reason he ends his Gospel the way he does with verse 8 is largely because he wants to call us towards greater faith. And so I think this kind of theme we see that um, the importance of believing um, this gospel is throughout those verses as well. And then also we see that um, 
we see miraculous and confirmatory signs. So we see things like casting out of demons, speaking in new tongues, miraculous uh, things like healings. Um, and so uh, basically what we can see from this little section here is that um, it, it seems clear that the early Christians, the early church, um, saw that God accompanied the preaching of the gospel with amazing things. Uh, so just as God did amazing things when Jesus was present and preaching and healing the sick and casting out demons, as we've seen throughout Mark, um, after he's resurrected, if you think back to our series through the book of Acts, one of the things we looked at in Acts is that Acts is kind of the story of what Jesus continues to do through his church, right? And so Jesus, the risen Lord, continues to do incredible things through those who believe. And so that's what we see happening in 9 through 20, is that the gospel is going forward and that the early church is continuing the work and God is continuing to do amazing things, um, things that defy all natural explanation. Um, to confirm that this indeed is uh, what God is up to. That God is confirming the gospel through these things. He's confirming that this is his hand at work. Um, and so I think there's a lot of helpful things to look at there uh, that are consistent with Mark's gospel and with the other scriptures. Um, even if these verses aren't in the earliest manuscripts we have of Mark. So... Um, there's a ton that we could talk about there, um, but we've got to move on and look at one through eight. Um, so if you have questions about that, it'd be helpful to point you towards some resources that kind of dive into that a little bit more. Um, but let's go ahead and look at uh, Mark's words in verses one through eight here. In verse one, it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And so here's what I want you to, to notice about uh, what Mark is giving us in terms of looking at the resurrection. So um, Mark ends his gospel very suddenly, very abruptly, very quickly, just like he has throughout the book of Mark. Um, we see this, um, the use of the term immediately, and the narrative just kind of flies forward. Um, it's as though um, we're looking, at, we're watching a movie, and it's like on fast forward the whole time. You know, so Mark is just flying us through some things and kind of like uh, pausing in some places to illustrate some things and show some things to us in a clear way. And, and he ends his gospel very abruptly, and I think it's intentional. I think one of the reasons that he ends so abruptly is because he wants to highlight um, some of the failures of faith and discipleship, and then he wants to call us towards greater faith 
in the resurrected Christ and uh, towards discipleship, towards proclaiming him and, and such. And so look with me uh, first at the historical reality of the resurrection. So in, in verse 1, uh, these women are going to the tomb and they bought spices that they're taking with them, right? And so they're headed to the tomb and they're thinking, they're, they're, they bought spices and why do you buy spices? Why do you buy spices? Why, why do you and I buy perfume and uh, cologne and things like that? Well, it's because something smells, right? And so the women have bought spices and things and they're thinking that where they're going there's about to be a stench because someone has died. And so... Um, they were present and they saw Jesus die and, and there was no question in their minds that Jesus had actually died and that what they were going to see was gruesome and, and that they were about to go and mourn and anoint him with the spices and, and such. And so um, they bought spices for the smell and, and such and they're bringing them and, and they get there and as they're coming... Um, it occurs to them on the way there that um, they have this problem. Um, there's this giant stone that they hadn't thought about, apparently, right? So these, these women are headed towards the tomb, and at some point on their journey there, it occurs to them that they're probably not going to be able to move this thing. And so they start talking about it. They're like, and, and it's called, in verse 4, the stone was very large, right? And so some people... Uh, think that the stone was four to six feet in uh, diameter, and and so very large. Uh, it would have been impossible for a few women to move for sure, and it would have taken several men to roll this stone away, and even that would have been a difficult task. And so the idea that um, Jesus just kind of like wasn't really dead, and somehow he got the stone out of the way, and he got out, or that um, the women rolled it away or that um, a couple guys could have gotten it out of the way. Um, it's just, uh, frankly, preposterous. Um, this would have been a great feat. And in, in Matthew, um, here's what we read. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And for, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And so, so Matthew kind of explains for us what happened with this stone. Um, so God sends an angel um, who would be able to move the stone. Um, and, and the guards uh, who would have been around um, guarding, making sure nothing would have happened, uh, trembled and became like dead men. So they fainted. They passed out, right? Um, so that kind of explains why they wouldn't have seen this happen. Um, and there's a lot of things that people will say that uh, are kind of skeptical about the Bible, skeptical about Christianity and the resurrection. And uh, one of them is that the idea that the disciples uh, somehow stole the body. Um, and so uh, I think Paul answers that question well in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, the question you have to ask then is... Uh, what about the 500 people who saw Jesus resurrected at the same time? In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, here's what it says. Um, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
listen here, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And so, and then he says, then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, uh, to his one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And so Paul's saying, listen, if, if you're doubting that this actually happened, then there's about 500 people that you can actually go ask. Um, and so the idea that uh, so many people could have seen this happen, and, and I mean, it's impossible to dismiss, uh, to dismiss that. And the idea that the disciples just stole the body, well, there were 500 people who apparently saw Jesus risen and alive and well. And so you could go and ask any of those 500 people if that was what had happened. And then also people uh, say things like the authorities may have taken the body. Um, but why? why? Why would the Roman authorities have taken the body um, and then given credence to uh, this developing sect that would have opposed their kingdom. Um, that's not a good explanation either. Um, and then the Romans could have very easily discredited what the gospel writers wrote, right? Um, these things could have been discredited easily if the Romans knew where the body was. And then uh, some people think that the women went to the wrong tomb. Um, well, I think that one's easy, too. I mean, the right one could have been pointed out, right? If you know that this wasn't the right one, and somebody knows where the right one is, then it would have been very easy to say, no, he's still dead, he's right here. Um, and then uh, the whole thing about Jesus somehow surviving. Um, if you know anything about Roman crucifixion, that's ridiculous. Um, the Romans were very good at killing people, um, and they prided themselves in uh, what they were able to do. Um, and, and when the women are bringing the spices, they know he's dead. Like, that's why they're bringing spices. They saw what had happened, and apparently they thought there's no way that anyone could survive that. And we had Roman soldiers who confirmed that he was dead, right? And so that idea is out the window, too. And, and I think one of the most convincing things um, is that all of these men who, who Mark shows us have failed repeatedly, for example, Peter, um, all of these men, even, you know, like the family members of Jesus, um, they were willing to die because of this. They were willing to die to declare and proclaim that Jesus was risen. And so... If you're familiar with uh, Charles Coulson, um, he was one of the ones that was involved with the Watergate scandal. Um, and uh, he later became a Christian, and this was, this was his thought on this whole subject. He said, um, men will give their lives for something they believe to be true. They will never give their lives for something they know to be false. And so... In, in Coulson's eyes, um, there's no way that these men and these women and these early Christians would have been willing to lay their lives down if, they, if Jesus wasn't actually risen from the grave. And, and the amount of testimony that there were 500 people who saw him, I mean, the, the evidence is overwhelming. Um, 
and and there's obviously a, a hundred things. There's hundreds of books that have been written on um, the different issues and how you answer them and things. Um, but I think the Bible is all that we need. Um, the Bible gives us enough testimony and enough things to think through uh, to show and believe convincingly that Jesus has in fact risen. He's not in the tomb anymore. And ultimately, when we consider the Christian faith, we're either going to believe what God has said about himself or we're not. Um, we will ultimate, it's ultimately not a decision between whether or not we believe the apologetic arguments that some people have put out. It's a decision about whether we believe that what God has said in his word is true. And that's where it comes down. We either believe that Jesus is risen from the grave as his disciples have declared, or we don't. And Christianity hinges on that point. Um, Paul says that if, if, if it's not for the resurrection, then your faith is pointless. Um, and so this is the reason that Mark ends with this, is because the resurrection is everything. And, and finally, we have to look at the fact that who discovered the empty tomb? It was women, right? And if we think about the culture that this is written in, this time and this place, the testimony of a woman was considered worthless. In this culture, in this time, in this place, where these things are being written, um, the testimony of a woman meant nothing. And, and so if you're trying to invent a religion, if you're trying to gather a following, the way that you do that is not by saying that a few women went and discovered your risen Lord. You don't start something that way. And yet Mark and the other writers are very clear to tell us that women discovered the empty tomb. And, and the fact that Mark says that com- communicates a couple of things. It communicates that um, he's, he's not about trying to convince you with a lie. He's telling you the truth, the events as they actually happened. And then I think it also shows that... Um, the, God values both men and women uh, despite what a culture may say. And so um, just as, as this culture um, degraded women and didn't value them in the way that God did, I think we find ourselves in similar circumstances, um, even in our day, in different ways. And, and when we look to the scriptures, um, some people say that the Bible is... Uh, doesn't portray women well or that it um, that it's uh, chauvinist and things and it's just not true um, God created man and woman in his image and he values them with equal dignity and worth and and in fact at, at the very crux of the testimony about the resurrection of Christ which is where all of Christianity hangs um, is on this testimony it's Three women who discover the empty tomb. And that's amazing. That's amazing. And so when we look at all of this, we, and, and what Mark wants us to think about is the appropriate response. So um, look at verse 7 with me. So the, the angel or the young man, as Mark describes him here in his gospel, it says, in verse 6 he says, He is risen, he is not here. Um, you're seeking Jesus, I know who you're seeking, and then he says in verse 7, but go tell his, 
disciples and Peter. Um, and so the, the angel who is telling the woman what have, has happened here is saying, listen, this is what the result should be. As I'm announcing to you that Jesus is no longer here, he is risen. And so what you should do is you should go and announce the same thing to his disciples. You should go forth from this place and what you've heard proclaimed, you should proclaim as well. And so he's saying, you need to go tell the disciples and you need to tell Peter. And that's very significant in Mark's gospel um, because if you remember, Mark is basically the account of Jesus um, as Mark has learned it from Peter, right? Um, so Peter and Mark were, uh, were very close and and so as we read Mark's gospel, we kind of, we get some very uh, specific things told to us about Peter. And, and just before this section, as Mark ends his, his gospel, uh, talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, um, we learned that Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And so the, the ending of Mark's gospel is Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends and his in his inner circle of disciples that he was training up. And, and Peter, just before this, denies Jesus three times, and then Jesus goes to his death. And so the idea that, that this angel would say, go tell his disciples, um, well, Peter would think, he's not talking about me. Because what Peter has just done uh, would seem unforgivable. He's abandoned one of his closest friends when he most needed him. He, uh, he has completely failed at this walk of faith thing. And, and yet the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter specifically. And so when we look at Peter in the Gospels, we see this man who is incredibly uh, bold and uh, says some things out of turn and, uh, and just kind of fun to watch, Right? He's that character in that movie that you know is going to do something stupid, and that's why you're watching it, because you're waiting to see his downfall. Um, and, and so Peter just completely fails, and, and yet Jesus still wants him to know. And Jesus is still going to do incredible things through Peter. And so the idea that you or I would have something in our lives that Jesus would look at it and say... No, I don't want you anymore. It's just preposterous. Jesus looked at Peter, who denied him three times, who completely abandoned him, just like the other, other disciples did, who uh, was no better than anyone else. He looked at Peter, and he said, I'm going to build my church, and you're going to be at the forefront of it. You're going to be one of the leaders. You're going to be one of the ones that I do incredible things through as I continue to go forth and do these things. Um, and so as we look at what this angel says, there's great encouragement to be found there because there's nothing in our lives uh, that God would look on and say, I can't redeem that. I can't bring healing there. I can't still use you. God can use you despite the things that you've done, the places that you've been. It doesn't matter. Um, even if you failed, you feel like as greatly as Peter has done. Look at what God has done through him. And so he says, a bold proclamation should be the response here. And so um, 
But then, just like Peter and the others found, uh, we see that the women don't do it, right? And so, we read, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's how Mark ends. He ends it there. He stops. Like, he ends on, okay, Jesus is risen from the grave. There's these women who discover that this has happened, and this angel tells them, okay, what you're supposed to do is go and tell everybody about it. And what do they do? They run away and hide. And Mark says, that's it, folks. That's all. Um, and and it, it makes you think of, a, of one of those movies that, you know, you get to the end of it, and the way they end the movie just makes you want your money back. Like, you know, I, 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 was, I was trying to think of some examples today, and one that I thought about was Inception. So if you remember Inception um, in, this, in this movie, um, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know why I tried to say his name, because that wasn't going to happen. Um, but he's the main character, and he goes into people's dreams, um, and basically the idea is um, he's... He's been uh, convicted of a murder, and he has this opportunity to get off and be re- restored with his family, see his kids again, if he can go into the stream and kind of uh, just plant this idea in somebody's head. And so um, the movie, you know, you'll have to see it to see what happens. But at the end, um, there's this scene where he sees his kids again. And he gets to hug him and play with him, and he's restored with him. And then there's this thing that he had throughout the movie, this top that he would set on the table and spin. And the way that he would know if he was in a dream or actually awake is if he was actually awake, the top would fall over. And the way the movie ends is you see him playing with his kids and the top spinning, and it just barely maybe starts to wobble. And then the screen goes black. And so the point is, you don't know whether he was in a dream or not. You don't know if he was actually with his kids or not. And similarly, the way Mark ends his gospel is, listen, Jesus is risen, and the people who were supposed to go tell it were afraid and didn't do it. And so it just ends abruptly, and you're left wondering, like, what's next? And I think that the reason Mark's in, Mark ends his gospel this way is because he's shown us so many times how um, disciples can fail. And yet he's presented to us who Jesus is. He's shown us that Jesus was faithful when no one else was. He's shown us that Jesus has all power when nobody else can accomplish anything. And he's shown us that Jesus continues to love and head towards the cross where he'll die the most gruesome death despite the continued confusion, the continued failure, the continued um, rebellion of the people he came to save. And so Mark doesn't want to just show you Christians who have succeeded. Mark wants to show you Jesus. And he wants you to look to Christ. He wants us to look to Christ together. He wants us to look at the fact that our God overcame death itself. And so the reason Mark ends his gospel so abruptly is because I think he's calling us to faith in the one that it's actually about. He doesn't want us to to just look at uh, the things that God has done through other believers, but he wants us to look at the one that they were looking towards. 
And so as we look at what Mark has said about Jesus, we, we end with the resurrection because that's where our hope lies. The resurrection is where your hope lies in the midst of depression. The resurrection is where your hope lies when you struggle with crippling anxiety. The resurrection is where your hope lies when you don't know if God uh, can, can do what you think he can do. The resurrection is where we place all of our hope and trust because if God can beat death, he can do anything. And so Mark presents Jesus before us. And despite all that we've looked at in Mark, if we've not looked at anything uh, but Christ, that would be enough. And so Mark gives us Christ. That's what he wants us to see. He wants us to see who God is in Jesus and all that he's done for us in the cross and the resurrection. And when we look at what God has done, we don't have to be afraid and run away. When we look at the fact that Jesus beat death, that gives us courage to actually go forth and tell people about him. And so... I think it's great the way Mark ends his gospel. As infuriating as it is to watch the end of Inception, I think it's beautiful the way that Mark lays this out for us. Because he wants us to see Jesus, and that's what matters. So would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would help us. God, despite the things that we may struggle with, despite the fears and anxieties that we might have, despite the things that we feel, the guilt and the shame that we might feel from things we've done, God, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus clearly. God, that if we've learned nothing else from Mark, God, that we would look upon Christ and all that you've done for us in him. And God, we pray that you would help us to have greater faith Lord, that you would spur us on uh, towards belief and belief that leads to action uh, as we seek to go out from this place and tell people about our resurrected Lord. God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the time we've had together uh, in this wonderful book. And God, we ask that you would use it uh, to deepen our faith, to grow us in faith. God, help us to trust you. And it's in Jesus' mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen.